Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I love doing these best of fresh takes because you get to go back and sort of find from the vault like, oh, this one's really worth revisiting again for different reasons. And I wanted to pull this one out. This is one that I did solo with Yael Schoenbrunn. She's the author of a book called Work, Parent, Thrive. And here's why I wanted to do it. She talks about values. Do you remember we were talking to Dr. Dana Dorfman about values and like, what are they? And we got a little bit like we know what they are and we, we needed You'll a definition. You'll know them when you see them. Right, right. Kind of. Yeah, so it's a definition. Yeah. So I was like, we, we, I think we talked about this in this interview and we did. So Yael Schoenbrunn talks about values clarification and that when you're – she was applying it particularly to working parenting and how you're always pulled in two directions and are you supposed to work late and are you supposed to be at your kid's concert and no matter what you do, you'll feel bad and somebody will be mad at you and you know how do you work with these things? And she talked about values clarification and you need to lead with your values and then you'll know what to do when you can let go of the guilt. And so I was like, what's a value? And she said, values aren't goals. Goals are your, your, um, you know, your destination in life that you're trying to get to. And values are the way you're going to get there. Mm, that's well said. And I think it's the kind of thing I understand. And we've talked to different guests about this that obviously, as you try to prioritize, you have to use your values to prioritize. But it's kind of one of those words that we do skip over a little bit. Like, well, what's a value? Like, right. and, and how do I rank them? And when we were talking to Dr. Dorfman, you pointed out, and she totally agreed with you, that people think like, well, happiness, being happy is a value. But that's a very hard thing to quantify. And it's not really in your country. That's a result. That's a goal. Right. That's and the so goal. it's like exactly. you got to back up one to get to what are the values that get you to happiness. And I think that sometimes we get our values and goals confused is right. what I think I'm trying to say. Right. And I loved the clarification of that in this interview. Very helpful for me. The other thing I wanted to make sure to highlight, because I know you always love this, a biological imperative you know I love a biological <laughs> imperative. I just wrote that song just now, guys. Yeah, El Schoenbrunn talks about functional emotion research and that guilt, talking again about the guilt of a, of a parent never doing enough, particularly a working parent, have to be two places at once, that guilt, it, it protects your relationship, either from anticipated harm or from harm that's been done. As in like, you're a caveman, you're supposed to feel bad that you left your toddler to herself too much today. Like, we're supposed to feel that way. We're supposed to want to tend to these little ones. Like, that makes sense. Guilt is there for a reason. But that it gets, like, 
over applied. Leaving your kid with loving adults at daycare on a Tuesday is not the same as leaving your kid abandoned on a hillside for eight hours. Right. But your lizard brain doesn't necessarily yes. know that, right? Like yeah. your lizard brain is still and right, we're social animals and so the way that we socialize with each other is reading each other's faces, right? So oh, like yeah. my kid is throwing a muffin in your face at the coffee shop and I'm working on my laptop like you're glaring at me to be like you are outside of the communal social contract right now (laughs) but I think sometimes that part of our brain gets activated and it's not always sending us the right signals it's like I'm a failure I'm bad everyone's judging me and that we we're getting wrong about where those stimuli are coming from sometimes the call is coming from inside the house (laughs) exactly Exactly. Well, there's so much more about this topic in this interview. I hope you all enjoy it. It's Yael Schoenbrunn, and she's talking about her book, Work, Parent, Thrive. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Takes from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And today I'm talking to Yael Schoenbrunn. She is a clinical psychologist, a co-host of the podcast Psychologists Off the Clock, an assistant professor at Brown University, and a mother of three little comedians. She's also the author of a new book, Work, Parent, Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm, and Grow Connection When Everything Feels Like Too Much. Welcome, Yael. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan of your podcast and so delighted that I have the chance to speak with you. Thank you. So tell us what inspired you to write this book. Well, like many authors, I probably wrote the book that I wished I could have read, you know, at a pivotal moment in my life. And that was when I became a working parent. So I became a working parent during my postdoctoral fellowship. I'm a clinical psychologist and academic by training and really thought that, you know, I would kind of have it in the bag because I had worked really hard for a flexible degree and career and had a supportive partnership, all that. So surprise, surprise, it was much harder than I anticipated. So I did what nerdy people do. And I started to read everything that I could get my hands on. And from the bookstore and the library, most of what I found focused on things that were outside of us, the systems that were inadequate, the workplace policy that was inflexible and needed reform and marriages that were unequal. And for sure, a lot of that resonated with me. But as a clinical psychologist, I was sort of curious about the inside parts of it. And also from my experience, it felt like there was something that was more of a psychological issue at stake and I didn't see anything written about it. So I turned to the academic literature and there I found actually a lot of really cool things, both evidence of work-family conflict, but also this other construct that I got really interested called work-family enrichment. And I started diving deep into that and learning more about not only how our roles conflict with each other, but also how they can help each other out. And as a dedicated, although not natural optimist, this really kind of tickled me and, and got me really excited. And I'm really into happiness science. So this was a more positive book and one that focuses on the psychological side of work-family conflict and work-family enrichment and the relationship between roles. So this is really the book that I kind of wish that I had had and really captures the science of enrichment while not denying the conflict, but also using tools from social science to help us navigate it even while we're waiting for all the things outside of us to reform and get better. Well, that's what I was thinking. It sounded like something a psychologist might say, right? Like, oh, okay, so it is. Yes, it is unfair. Your work asks too much of you. You're doing more at home. You you know, you're handling more than you can handle. 
And yes, it's totally unfair, but let's talk about you, right? Let's talk about what you bring to this. And I would be sitting in that psychologist's office like, fine, you're right. Yes. What do I bring to this? (laughs) I mean, sometimes I can feel in that sort of helplessness. Like I feel frustration. And of course, I feel frustration and everything has to change. But you're saying not that this is the only solution what's in ourselves, but that mindset is a very powerful tool to bring to this working. Yeah. And I sort of think about it in a couple of different ways. So one is that you know, we can have a mindset that is more helpful in changing the world around us, right? If we feel helpless and hopeless and overwhelmed, it's pretty hard to affect change in the world outside of us. And so mindset is really important if we want to have progress and be a part of the progress that we see outside of us. The other part of it is that I do think, and there's scientific evidence for this, that you know, some part of the conflict between roles can't be eradicated. Like no matter how good the systems are around us, no matter how equal our partnerships, how supportive our workplaces, what kind of leave our government allows, and all those things should be better than they are. I fully want to emphasize that point. But no matter how progressed we get in the systems that are outside of us, we're still going to feel conflicted, right? We have only 24 hours in a day and some need for sleep. And most of us feel a deep connection and desire to participate in multiple roles that demand a lot of us. And so there's just no way to eradicate the conflict completely. And that's another place where psychological tools really come in handy in this sort of different kind of view of what it means to have conflict between our roles. You talk in the book about the guilt of working parenting, and you made a point that that's actually sort of hardwired, which I had never read before. And I thought that was a really good point. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So guilt, like most emotions, has a function. So there's actually an entire body of research called functional emotion research, and where researchers really look at like what emotions do for us. So guilt is a special emotion. It's very interpersonal. And what it does is it protects our relationships, either from anticipated harm or from harm that's been done. So it kind of cues us like, oh, something hasn't gone right in a relationship and you need to sort of protect your relationship. Otherwise, you're in danger of being ousted from your village, your group of people that you belong to. So this is sort of like an emotion that's hardwired into us from pre-modern times where it really was a danger to us or to our kin to our children if we weren't taking care of those relationships in a very deliberate sort of ongoing way. The problem is that we still get that guilt triggered, but we're no longer in mortal danger and our children are no longer in mortal danger. So if you don't chaperone that trip because you have a work obligation, you might feel guilt, but you may or may not need to follow it in terms of the behaviors that it might prompt. In other words, evolutionary change happens much more slowly than cultural change. And so we still get those emotions triggered in us. And sometimes it's really useful. Like sometimes you really do need to pay more attention to your kid because you've been really distracted by work or in many people's case by social media or your phone. And we need to like return our attention. We're neglecting that relationship. But oftentimes the guilt is sort of like this hangover that doesn't offer much help. And so the best thing that we can do is sort of pay attention to it, ask if it's providing useful information. If it is, take care of that relationship. And if we decide it's not, to let it be and pay attention to what is more useful, which is usually whatever you're doing in the moment is more useful. Like it's more important to get your work task done and then come back to your kid at the end and be present for that. Because guilt is one of those things where it causes us not to be present in whatever we're doing, which is really problematic. Yes. 
And we had Chelsea Conaboy on the show talking about the mother brain. And uh, she sort of argued in the book, and I thought this was really correct, that what we think of as being this, you know, the overflow of love and emotion, there's nothing I'd rather do than just hold my napping baby for eight hours at a time. That really, I mean, sometimes that's true. And sometimes that's true eventually. And, you know, and it's more complicated than that. But she argues that attention comes first, that the first thing that changes in our brain is this pay attention to this small, helpless thing that we are wired to not leave the baby on a hillside, right? But then that can feel like I can't possibly go, you know, start work half days this fall because I'm betraying some deep connection that I'm supposed to have. Right. And in fact, what we know, I mean, and so there's this kind of double-sided truth, which is that we're hardwired to pay attention to our kids so that they don't get eaten by a predator, right? Right, right. Probably not going to happen. Just saying like, you're okay today. It's probably not going to happen these days. So, and we're also hardwired to participate in child rearing with other people. So it's like a tension between. And so I, I think that both are true and we have to sort of make value aligned choices as opposed to just emotion driven choices because the guilt's going to come up and then the fatigue and the resentment is going to come up. So we have to sort of figure out like what makes sense. You know, if you have a job and you need to pay attention to it, that guilt is going to come up and you can use it in productive ways and then also kind of let it be. And you can turn to the science that says this is actually really good for your kids to be with other childcare providers because it gives you a break, restores your energy, gives you a chance to think about something other than, you know, when they last pooped or when they need to sleep. And then when you come back to them, you'll be recharged in the parenting side of yourself. You'll have had a break and you'll be able to be more attentive, as you're saying, more in the moment with them because you've had a break. And so for that reason, this natural drive to parent in groups is actually quite helpful. And also, it's good for us to get the lessons from childcare providers like my childcare providers help me teach my children how to be potty trained, how to sleep through the night, manage their picky eating. And it's good for our kids, too, to learn from other caregivers that aren't us and to develop close relationships outside of the family as well. Is that an example of enrichment, how you mean that in this book? Definitely. Because I think so work and parenting roles enrich each other in so many ways. And this is a really important way, because I think in our modern society, we're really pushed to kind of do it all by ourselves. So stay at home parents almost don't have enough pressure to install these outside of the family caregivers. It's actually one of the huge benefits of working parenthood that we're really under a lot of pressure to have other people helping us because we can't do it all because we have these other position roles that we have to participate in life. But ultimately, it's actually quite good for kids. And I would argue that it's really good for stay at home parents too to install some helpers because again, it's good for everybody involved. I want to talk about values clarification and how we can use that to make ourselves feel better about all the different things we have to do in our lives. We're talking to Yael Schoenbrunn. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L U M E N dot M E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Yael, you talk in this book about a therapeutic process that was new to me called values clarification. And that is potentially a way out of this. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not doing enough at home. I'm not doing enough at work. I'm a terrible person. Walk us through it. So values clarification is one of the core processes of a treatment that I practice. It's a scientifically backed treatment called acceptance and commitment therapy. And I know you've had my colleague Jill Stoddard on and she talked a bit about how we have. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'll put a link to her episode in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, it's a very cool treatment and it's useful for so many different things, including just general overwhelm in life. And one of the core processes, as you're mentioning, Amy, is values clarification. And the idea of values is that values represent sort of how we want to show up moment to moment in our lives. What's sort of the me that we want to be? This is a line that Jill has in her terrific book. What's the me that you want to be in a given moment? And when it comes to working parenthood, this is really helpful because we're having so much emotion. We get so 
uh, pulled in so many different directions. And it can be helpful to really take a step back to zoom out a bit and to figure out, you know, what is the me that I want to be? So let me just offer sort of two other pieces of information about values. So one is that values are different than goals because goals are more a destination that we're trying to get to, whereas values is how we're going to get there. It's like how we want to travel the road. And they're really different than emotions, right? Because emotions are sometimes in line with how we want to be and sometimes not. For example, if I have a fight with my partner, my emotion might be anger. But most of the time, I don't really want to show up as a super angry, resentful person. I want to show up as a kind, respectful person. So it's different than what the emotions might drive us to do. And what we most want to do most of the time is allow our values to be in the driver's seat. So you can think about the metaphor of walking, of stepping into a really cold body of water. So it's really uncomfortable, but your goal is to get into the water, either because your child is in there and you want to play or because you're um, trying to wake up your body. You know, this is something that some people do for like health reasons, but it's a really uncomfortable thing to do. So you can think about how do I want to do it? Do I want to do it quickly and get it over with? Or do I want to do it slowly and allow my body to adjust? Do I want to jump in and make it exciting or do I want to have a more mindful step-by-step process? So it's going to be uncomfortable either way and I can choose moment to moment how I want to do it. So when it comes to working parenthood, you know, we might think of the goals, launching our kids or getting uh, professional promotions. And we might think about other goals that are like, I want to participate in both. But then when it comes to values, it's more like, how do I want to show up moment to moment? So when it, there's a lot of different questions that you can ask yourself to clarify. For example, what are the main ways that you'd like your children to see or remember you right, as a working parent? So it might be something like, I want them to see me managing lots of roles in life because that's a full, interesting life. You can also ask yourself if you have a working parent that you admire bring them to mind and how you describe the ways that this individual journeys through life. But my favorite question of all is travel forward 30 years and imagine your older self looking back on your current self and looking back, what are the ways that in this moment you would be most proud of having showed up? And I think there's rarely a very obvious, easy, like this is the one right way, but we can get some clarity on some of the elements that feel most important to us. Does that make sense? It does. So in your book, you make this a pretty explicit exercise, right? That the reader can sit down with a pen and really engage with clarifying her values. What are some values? Give us an example of a value that you might clarify for yourself and then how it might play out during a difficult moment. Yeah. So I can even share the example that I go through in the book, which is a It's not specifically a working parent example, but it's a really tough patch of life that I had where my father was dying and I had, I was out with him and I had a flight home to be with my kid who was, my oldest was about to turn nine. And I had, you know, my husband who couldn't work if I wasn't there, his normal job. And my youngest at the time was two. And so family life was kind of, coming to a grinding halt without me there. And yet my father was dying and I couldn't decide, do I stay and keep vigil? It could have been one day. It could have been up to a month. I didn't know. Or do I return home? It was your nine-year-old's birthday party too, as I recall, which is very important when you're nine. (laughs) Yeah. It was a day that he was really looking forward to. And I didn't want him to remember his birthday and associate it with my father's passing away. So it was very complicated and I was all torn up and, you know, they're just wasn't a good choice to be had. And I think everybody faces a moment like this at some point. Yeah, there are no good choices, right? 
there are no good choices. And so what I did is this exercise of values clarification that I usually do in the therapy room, but I applied it to myself in this very, very tough moment. For me, what I asked myself is, what did I think my father would have wanted me to stand for in this tough moment where he was dying and my children and my family and my job needed me? I really don't know that this is true, but I decided, I clarified for myself that what he would have wanted was for me to be there for my nine-year-old's birthday and to show up for my husband and my younger kids and my job. That was really important to him to be really present for his grandsons and for the work ethic. And so I went home, but less than a day after I returned home, he did pass away. So if I had just stayed one more day, I would have been able to be there for him and it wouldn't have been such a cost to it wouldn't have actually cost my young kids that much because it would have just been one day. But I didn't know that. But what I'm able to do as I reflect on it is say, I stood for the values as best I could. I didn't have all the information. But in that moment, I tried to aspire to be most of what I could think my dad would have wanted me to be. And I can feel good about that, even if I still carry some regret about missing his final day. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense because you're focusing on, well, I, I made a values aligned decisions and then you're not like, oh, why did I fly home when I could have stayed? And as you point out in the book, you then fly back across the country and your sister was back in the hospital with complications after a birth. And in a crazy way, you flying across the country and then back again made you more able to show up for your mom and the rest of your family in the difficult days after that, which you could never have predicted. But it was still the right decision, even if none of that happened, because you were acting in alignment with your values. Yeah, I mean, it was as right as it could have been. And I think that's kind of the point. When we have different roles tugging at us, there's often no choice that it's just like, that's the right choice. I did the best I could. And now everyone's going to be happy and nobody's going to be disappointed. Unfortunately, that isn't often what's going to happen. Because if you leave work to go get your kids before, you know, the very last moment, where childcare is open, your boss and your colleagues might be annoyed. But if you get there after childcare closes, guess what? Your caregiver and your child are going to be annoyed. So there's often no win where everybody, including you, gets to feel happy. The best we can do is say, you know, given my constraints, and this is an important piece of values, is that it's how I want to show up given what's going on outside in the world and given what's going inside in my body and given what matters the most to me in this moment. And values can change moment to moment. They're going to be different if you have a two-year-old versus a 12-year-old. And they're going to be different if your father is dying versus if you you know your kid just has the, a runny nose. So they change moment to moment. But the important thing is to say, you know, given what's going on around me, given what's, you know, what I'm sensing really matters, what would be the best choice that I could make? Yeah. And it's not a way out of discomfort. It's a way of accepting discomfort, right? And amidst the heart. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, what's nice about values clarification is if you sort of have clarity on what you want to stand for, it almost in a weird way helps you transcend discomfort. In other words, it helps you tolerate it with greater peace because you know, like this, I'm doing this for a reason. And you talk about that in the book too, that parental situations change all the time, right? You get the call from the school nurse and I don't know, your super productive presentation to your entire company is now like, uh oh, that your kid might need some stitches and everything's thrown up in the air. And that's part and parcel of being a working parent. But that those curveballs, if you approach them with this sort of values aligned thinking, it makes makes it a little easier to accept them. Am I saying that correctly? 
Yeah, you said that so well, because there are like a million and one pivots that we have to do throughout our working parent day. I know for myself, <laughs> I've already had like a couple dozen of hat changes that I've had to do today. And I'm sure, you know, all of you listening who have kids and jobs and our partners and friends and community participants, like we have to switch what role we're in so often. And it can feel really exhausting, but here's where a bit of a mindset shift in the social science can really help is knowing this process of values clarification and practicing these role pivots. And we can also establish little cues in our environment that can help us switch more fully. Because what we want, what we know from science about role shifting is that if we try to do two roles at once, we don't do very well. Like human brains are not wired to multitask very well. We think we should, but that's just not how we work. What we should do, what's more helpful to do is to switch from one role to the other, even if you have to switch pretty often. And there's a number of ways that we can make that happen more easily. One is by setting up cues in your environment. So like for me, when I drop into my work role, I usually get a cup of coffee and I try to have a couple of sips mindfully, or you can do a meditation or you can establish micro rituals. These are like really small practices that kind of cue your body and your mind. Now I'm stepping into this role. So for example, I have one friend who like shuts the blinds when she works and then opens them when it's time to step into parenting role. And for me, you know, one of the micro rituals that I have when I step into parenting role is just giving my kids a hug. That's like a super easy, low stakes. And I love doing it. And I just kind of effortlessly am able to drop into parenting role. So we can do something like that. The other thing to think about is just like noticing where your mind's at. And guilt is one of these things, as we already discussed, it just comes up and it's so distracting. So having a practice where you notice what guilty thoughts might come up, you can write them down, especially if they're things that need to be taken care of, because we know that when we download thoughts into a physical space, either in, onto a notepad or into our phone, that they're less likely to be distracting and then have a practice of bringing yourself back to the current role. The other piece I think that's helpful is knowing that when we're fully in one role and we're switched off of the other, this is a fancy term called psychological detachment, that we actually get a rest from whatever role that we're not in. But if we kind of have both slightly activated, we don't get a rest from either. So when you're parenting, turn off your work role because then when you come back to your work role, you'll feel more refreshed and have a lot more creative energy. <laughs> when you're in your work role, Try to turn off your parenting role so that you can really be taking a full break from parenting and come back to parenting with your parenting battery fully recharged. Love that. We're talking to Yael Schoenbrunn. She's the author of Work, Parent, Thrive, and we will be right back. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. 
Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Yael, you talk in your book about subtraction neglect, which is a very useful tool for all of us to try. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So the science of subtraction is really interesting. So I think most of us can get behind the idea of less being a nice outcome, whether it's with our closets or <laughs> if it's you know related to the number of items that we have in our plan for the afternoon or our kids enrichment activities. Like the outcome of less is really nice. The problem is that we have a hard time getting there. And the reason, and this is what the science shows, is that human brains are more wired to add than to subtract. So when we encounter a stressor or a problem, we're much more likely to come up with solutions that are more additive solutions. And this kind of makes sense, again, for an evolutionary reason, which is, you know, in pre-modern times, if you encountered a stressor, it was usually like not enough calories, not enough shelter, not enough social ties. And so for that reason, our brain has evolved to be a better adder than subtractor. And what we do when there are problems is we actually neglect to even think about subtraction as a possibility. So there's this very interesting set of studies that shows that when we're the most stressed out, when we're really overloaded cognitively, we're even less likely to consider subtracting, even though that is usually the better choice, behaviorally speaking. Wow. And the reason that the science is so helpful is that we can be more deliberate. We can sort of override this addition reflex and be more deliberate and develop habits and practices that set us up to be more likely to subtract. And so when it comes to, you know, feeling really overwhelmed with parenting, there's all sorts of evidence that shows that for the average modern parent that is kind of in a position where they have enough care for their child to be safe and enough resources for their child to be thriving, that it's often the case that we can actually do a bit less parenting, like getting out of our kids' way, letting them be more independent, letting them make mistakes, letting them make their own lunch, letting them choose whether or not they're going to bring their jacket, letting them make their own social plans, letting them choose to have free time. Those are all really good things, but we're sort of in this society that's always telling us to do more. So buck the trend and subtract. The same thing is true for work. It's better to say no to tasks that you get asked to do and say a more wholehearted yes to the ones that that you're actually going to do than to sort of feel compelled to say yes to everything. So develop a practice of saying no and subtracting things from your work to-do list or your work schedule. And one of the ways to do this is you know, right next to your to-do list, have a stop doing list. This is a suggestion from the author of a really cool book called Subtract. And the author's name is Lighty Klotz. It's, it's a very cool idea, I think, for parents. So you have your to-do list and then you have your stop doing list that's right next to it? Exactly. Exactly. And in this case, this might be getting too hair splitting, but is the 
doing less itself the value or is this in service of a value you might have created for yourself? It's a little different. Yeah, that's a great question. I'd never thought about it that way, but I think it could be a value or it could be in the service of doing of sort of making more time for things that matter to you. So you had mentioned to me that your kids are a bit older and I know that, you know, schedules and how jam packed they are can change over time. And I'm just curious, I mean, are you still in this phase where it feels like family life and your kids schedules are jam packed? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a kid applying to college right now. So it's sort of how busy do you want to be? And knowing when overseeing that kid's schedule, knowing when that kid really should get upstairs and get working on one of the 14 essays that have to be completed before the end of the year. And when that kid just needs five minutes to be left alone without mom telling him to do something, it's that's a hard line to walk. And I'm trying to err more on the side of <laughs> leave him alone, you know, never interrupt a happy toddler, we used to say during the pandemic and like never interrupt a happy person. But sometimes they do need help. So it's a constant discernment. And I love this idea of setting a value for yourself that makes it in that moment, if connection with my child is my value, right, then I say something, but I make sure that for every, hey, did you finish that draft of that essay yet? There's two or three of, you know, show me that funny video you were telling me about, right? It makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Well, and I love, can I just say, I love that value of being connected with your kid. That's such a beautiful value. And there's so many things that we're pressed to do in our modern parenting culture that really interfere with that. I mean, certainly sometimes our kids are being brats and that can interfere with connection. And sometimes we're grumpy and that can interfere with connection, but always you know, doing and getting things done and making sure that our, you know, college applications look good can really interfere with feeling close to our kids. And it's okay. You don't have to feel close to your kid all the time. But if that's sort of a general guiding value, I think that can help you discern, you know, like connect first and check in and ask if they need your support to remember to do those applications or if they want to kind of make those choices themselves and, you know, figuring that out together, I think is really nice. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think it's really nice to talk with your kids about how much free time they want to have and what they want to delete from their schedules. Well, that's a really interesting, right. Uh, come to them with this sort of values mindset. What's important to you? And then the decisions you make are aligned with those values, not this dread of, oh, I really should be doing this, even though I want to be doing something else. Totally. So can can we zoom out as we close, just talking about this book, sort of the overall goal, I think, is to take us from a conflict mindset to an enrichment mindset. And I just want to make sure I'm giving you time to sort of explain what that sort of framework is for people listening. Oh, thank you for giving me that chance. Yeah, my greatest hope for this book is that it helps people do a mindset shift around working parenthood. So most people know about mindset who are parents because we know Carol Dweck's work in the academic literature about fixed mindset versus growth mindset as it applies to student learning. And I think that we can have fixed mindset or growth mindset as it applies to working parenthood too. So what I call fixed mindset is a work-family conflict mindset. And that is the idea that our two roles exclusively conflict, right? It's sort of like a finite pie. And if you're working, you're not parenting, and that's bad for parenting. And if you're parenting, and you're not working, that's bad for working. And what the science shows is that by switching our mindset to a growth mindset, or what I call a work-family enrichment mindset, that we can find ways to have a more expandable pie, 
Like we can use our parenting role to enrich our work role. And we can use the skills that we build at work to enrich our parenting. And by doing that simple mind shift, we actually find a lot more joy in both our roles, a lot less guilt and a lot more opportunities to have our roles help us grow in whatever role we're not in and to feel happier as a whole. And there's kind of these three pathways. There's sort of like the skill transfer effect where in each role, you're learning skills that can helpfully be applied to the other role. There's the buffer effect. And that's the idea that if you're stressed out in one role, you can have positive experiences in the other role and sort of manage the stress that way. And then there's the additive effect. And that gets to the science of happiness, which is the more meaning and purpose that we have in life, the happier we are. And so even though having multiple demanding roles certainly is taxing and overwhelming, it actually gives us more access to the opportunities to have experiences of, in, of meaning and purpose and happiness. And so thinking about it in that way and approaching it with that mindset can really help us to grow in our working parenthood and to allow our roles to help each other out and to help us as happy adults out too. We've been talking to Yael Schoenbrunn. Her new book is Work, Parent, Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm, and Grow Connection When Everything Feels Like Too Much. Yael, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Well, so I'm a co-host of a, another podcast. It's called Psychologists Off the Clock. So you can find me there every week and um, you can find me on social media. Yael Schoenbrunn is my handle. And I hope to hear from people. I hope people like the book. And thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to talk to you. Thanks, Yael. This is a great book. It's full of really, really practical takeaways. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.